0: He says to the lepers, you come. He says to the prostitutes, you come. He says to the tax collectors, you come. You get in. Go out everywhere and bring these people in because Jesus wants who no one else wants. That's the draw. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. I don't know what your college experience was like. I attended Western Kentucky University. Like many of you, Bowling Green's my hometown. And Western is actually ranked, or was ranked at the time, not for academics, not for athletics, although there are some good academic and athletic programs. But at the time I attended, Western was ranked in the top 25 as a party school. And Dorothy Whitman will attest to that. When she was there, she was part of the problem. I can say that about her. She's not here today, but I have no doubt that we'll get back. My pastor and I would go on visitation on Thursday nights in Bowling Green, and Thursday nights in Bowling Green had been the traditional time to go on visitation, and to be honest with you, it was not a good time to go, because there were a lot of people at home, and there were a lot of people at home who were not sober. Western was a a ghost town on the weekend, because Thursday night was the party night. I had a Friday class my first semester at the university, and walked in, and this guy came in, and he looked... Fairly hammered, like he had had a, a long night. I don't think he'd slept, and he had this one of those red paper cups. You know what I'm talking about. These always seem to be around. I know none of you are partiers, but if you did know what I was talking about, that's what it would be. And he, and he came up to me, and he was half out of it, and he said, "Would you want some of this? Here, smell." And before I had a chance to get back, stuffed it right into my nose. And I don't know what I was smelling at that time. I just knew I did not want anything of what he had. And I thought, man, I can give you a Diet Coke. That'll take a lot of that away. Partying is something that seems to be prevalent in our culture. It, it's always seen as the, the way to go. It's, it's where things are happening and it's where people are at. And, and often what we do as believers is we take partying and we say that's a dangerous thing to be at because you can get caught up in a lot of different things. And, and truly, that's the case. You can party your life away and literally waste your life away if you're not careful. But the Bible actually has a lot to say about parties, Specifically, wedding parties. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, "...the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, "...tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready." And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Bible begins with a wedding, with Adam and Eve, and it ends with a wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb, which will be the greatest party of all time, one that will never end. And in between, Jesus spends a lot of his time of ministry in the Gospels, going places where the church culture said he should not go. So he shows up at the Pharisees' house. He shows up at the tax collector's house. And indeed, the first public miracle that he does occurs not with a lame or a blind person, not with a casting out, but it happens with turning the water into wine at Cana. Or If you're a Baptist, he turned it into Welch's. At any, way, at any rate, he did it. In between, Jesus is constantly comparing the kingdom of God, not so much to a war zone, not so much to an apocalyptic end times game, but to a party, a celebration time. So much so that he begins to to share a parable about what happens. In this instance, Jesus isn't just going to the party. He's actually throwing the party himself. And so he tells the story of the king who threw this for his son. The father throws this on behalf of Jesus. He sends out this initial invitation, which they ignore. And then he sends out a second invitation. He begins to describe the occasion. He says, look, I've killed the fatted calf. The oxen have been prepared. This is the place that you want to go. You are getting a VIP invitation. But every time the servants go out to make the announcement, they are met with an excuse. If you could imagine being an invited guest to the banquet of the king, one in which in olden times, if you rejected the invitation, you could very well be thrown in jail and worst case scenario, lose your life, and you just don't even show up. You don't bother to RSVP. Luke recounts the the same instance. He tells a little bit of things about it, some of what they said. One had oxen out in the field. One was tending to some new business. One said, hey, I just got married. I can't, I can't be there. Everybody had a legitimate excuse. You can imagine in the modern world, if we compare the wedding party to worshiping the Lord, what would be some of the reasons that people might say? Maybe they would say, there's other things I want to do with my time and my life. They would say, there's going to be hypocrites at that wedding. I don't want to go there. They'd say, I, I, I have to get a gift if I come for the wedding party. All they do is ask for money. <laughs> If I go to a wedding, I'll have to go to more weddings. Or maybe they don't want to come because they're not hungry because they've been filling themselves up on the junk of the world. And they no longer desire to eat Whatever the case, they're they're so caught up in the struggle, they can't see the answer that's right in front of them. The king has invited them to the best banquet that they will ever attend in their lifetime, and they refuse to come. And not only do they refuse to come, but they literally, literally kill the messenger. They take the servants out. That's treason. It's considered to be rebellion against the king. It's a reminder of the Old Testament prophets, the messengers of the Lord, who were often slaughtered for giving an invitation to the king's banquet. For giving an invitation for the eternal entrance into the kingdom. And this isn't the only place where a hostile reaction is described when Jesus starts discussing weddings and wedding parties. It's similar to the bridegroom at the wedding feast in Matthew 9. When the disciples of John the Baptist who have been preaching repentance in the wilderness look at the disciples of Jesus and they say, We fast. The Pharisees fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, we don't do that because the bridegroom is now with you. In fact, John will later say, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So we see specifically with weddings and marriage and images of wedding party, this picture of Christ and the church. This is the symbol of the blessing of God. Just as God takes us. When we don't even take ourselves just as He loves us, when we can't even love ourselves just as He helps us, when we can't even help ourselves, so the Scripture compares God's love for us to a marriage. It is an earthly portrayal of a heavenly, eternal reality, and the bridegroom is with them. This is Israel's promise. They had good reason to mourn beforehand. They had seen a lot of sorrow, but now the promise has come to life through Abraham, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through that seed. God has not forsaken His people. Even when they've forsaken him, he's kept his covenant with them, and now the bridegroom's in front of them. He's inviting them to the wedding feast. All that mourning has taken place. There ought to be joy out of the mourning, and yet they receive him not. It's like they miss the point, and they commit what is often the most common sin in the life of the church, and that is simply the failure to rejoice. At what God has done. To rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's like they're reading the script. They've got it in front of them. Messiah is supposed to come. When he shows up, rather than applauding, they start crying. And Jesus says, You're like children playing in the marketplace. We played a dirge for you and you didn't dance. We sang for you and yet you you did not mourn. You missed your cue. They missed out on the work of God in their day. And they end up committing inadvertently, perhaps, the unpardonable sin, which is perpetual unbelief. It's the failure to rejoice. It's the refusal to come. And so John will say, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. And so it will be at the end of time, many who receive the invite will have refused to come but to those who come will be received. So the king goes out, he punishes the evildoers for killing his servants, and he says, let's do a a re-invite of everyone who's come. He says, now, instead of having these exclusive invitations to the people I know, to the house of Israel, now you open up the party to everybody. You go out into the highways and the byways, and you compel them to come in. It doesn't matter if they're rich, doesn't matter if they're poor, doesn't matter if they're young or they're old, Jew or Gentile, go and get them and invite them to come to the wedding banquet. And that's exactly what takes place the servant goes out and begins to grab anyone who he can find, they are invited to the party. And this indeed is the mystery that Jesus talks about as the gospel of itself, that it is not going to be ultimately just for Jews, but it will also be for the Gentiles because those who he came to received him not. And now the Gentiles, you and me, have been grafted in. You and I think of that logically. Obviously, Jesus loves us, but the Jews never would have thought of such a thing. They treated the Gentiles as dogs. There's one instance that the Gospel recounts of the Syrophoenician woman who comes up to Jesus and asks for healing, and Jesus says, I can't give this food to the dogs. And she responds with a play on words, and she says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs come and lick off the bread of the crumbs of the table. And he says, Woman, thy faith has made thee whole. Those Jews who once looked at the Gentiles... As dogs are now seeing, Jesus is demonstrably showing that the kingdom is way bigger than they thought that the blessing to the nation that Abraham describes goes way beyond his nation, and the Gentiles will be grafted in because people are invited to the party. A friend of mine growing up a few years older than me, came out of some difficult circumstances in my home church, his name was daniel and we would give Daniel a hard way to go. He would dress kind of funny, had these big glasses. And, you know, he, he was a big guy, a big guy. He was really a gentle giant. He had this, this high-pitched voice. And so we would often give him a, a hard way to go. He came out of, of quite a bit in his childhood, really had some, had some parents that weren't able to, to care for him in the way that they, they needed to. And he would tell you that. But he was never one to complain. And the Lord brought him up in our church. He was raised in it. And we would go out sometimes uh, for prayer breakfast and things with our pastor. And I remember one particular day, I guess I was 12 or 13 years old, we went to Shoney's restaurant, and it was my sister's birthday. So she would have been seven or eight, somewhere in that range. And I remember my dad just kind of as an aside said, hey, we're having a birthday party for for Maggie, my daughter. Why Why don't you come later on? And he had a suit and tie on because it was, you know, it's bus visitation day in the independent Baptist world. It doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees outside, you wear the suit and tie. So he's, he's got that on. And we walked to the, to the checkout counter at Shoney's. I remember they had this thing going. They had these SEC logos and memorabilia. And there was an SEC basketball with, I think it was the 12 teams at the time, on it. And I, I looked at that, and I saw him staring at it a little bit. A couple hours later, he shows up at the house around lunchtime. And he's carrying that SEC basketball. He, he bought that thing for like my seven-year-old sister. And he had his tie on and all that. And he's, he's getting ready to walk into the house. And he says, is, is this okay, what, what I brought? And I said, I was kind of giving it hard of a hard way I said, yeah, I'm sure my, my six, seven-year-old sister will, will love this man if she can carry it, if she can get it to go. I mean, it was a full-size SEC basketball. And he looked at me kind of shyly, and he said, <laughs> he said, I didn't know what to get her. Because I've never been invited to a birthday party before. <laughs> I felt about that big. He spent 20-something years of his life because of what he'd gone through. And for whatever reason, nobody had ever invited him to a party This is why Jesus is so compelling in the narratives, because everybody that's been rejected, everybody that's outcast before, he invites them to the party. He says to the lepers, you come. He says to the prostitutes, you come. He says to the tax collectors, you come. You get in. Go out everywhere and bring these people in, because Jesus wants who no one else wants. That's the draw. And he tells all of these people who have grown up with the invitation, who have been invited to the party numerous times, if you won't come, I will invite everyone else to come. And they show up. At one point, Jesus says to Peter through that vision, Peter, why are you calling these people unclean? Don't call unclean what I've made clean. He sends the people that no one else wants. And he tells us at the end of the day that our job is not to show up for an awards banquet, but to a wedding feast. He tells us at the end of the day, our job is not to show up with hat in hand with everything lined up. He says at the end of the day, your job is just to show up. It's just to come. And that's where he gives the invitation requirements for participating in the kingdom. He says to them, guys, I want you to come to the party. I want you to be there And in order to come, you got to wear what I give you to wear. The king would often have wedding garments prepared for the guests. This is what Jesus does here. He says, you've got to wear what I give you because it's for your protection and for your glory. You have to come in with the right garments. And if you don't come in, you'll be cast into the outer darkness. This is what Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with His robe of righteousness as the bridegroom decks himself with garland and as the bride adorns herself with jewels, they come in with the robes that Jesus gives them. But one person decides to come in their own way. And Jesus says, friend, why didn't you wear the wedding garment? You knew better than that. And more than that, I provided it for you. He says, you will be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the story takes a turn. There's celebration here for those who have come. But then he says, if you try to come another way, If you try to get in through another door, you won't make it. You can only come in through the whitewashed garments of the blood of Christ. And the implication is don't refuse the invitation of the king. You know, we don't like to talk about it. It is the most unpopular doctrine in Christian history. A lot of people try to do away with it. They're trying to do it right now. But the reality is that Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. Brothers and sisters, it is real. And regardless of however you want to dress it up and how you want to artistically imagine it, hell is ultimately the absence of God. And you would say, why would God create this world called hell? Well, he creates this world called hell for people who do not desire to dwell with him. Because if you do not desire to dwell with him, you have to dwell on your own. You have to dwell in a place apart from the blessing of God. And even if you don't know God today, you are existing under his common grace with the air you breathe and the sunlight you have and the breath that you have in your life. But there comes a point where if you reject the invitation over and over, God lets you go your own way. It's what C.S. Lewis describes. He said it's like you've spent your whole life becoming so close to this great glory that's just beyond. You can't see it, but you know it's there. You can sense its presence, and you get to the end of your life only to find that it's there if you're a believer or only to find that you've just missed it if you're not. And he says there is weeping. There is gnashing of teeth, weeping for sorrow, gnashing of teeth for the frustration, the anger, Somebody said, if heaven's not a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Somebody said, I'll show up there. All my buddies will be there. Oh, dear friend, you won't know your friend's in hell. And the only way to get in is to simply receive the invitation. And so so many people try to go to the parties at the White House or to the parties with the celebrities. They'll even sneak into the parties and get a time at it. They want to go with the parties of the powerful, but you have received an invitation from the King and King of the Lord of Lords for the party to exceed all parties and all you have to do is come. All you got to do is wear the garments that He provides so that when you come to that eternal wedding feast, that marriage supper of the Lamb, you are not like the ten virgins. Five show up, five are late. Jesus says, why were you not watchful? Why were you not expectant? Why did you not respond? But instead, when the bridegroom calls to you and you hear his voice, you won't be found mourning but rejoicing because the Lamb of God is seated on his throne. He ever lives to make intercession for you. So maybe you're here today and you've never received an invite to the party. It's all throughout the Scripture. Jesus just says, come. Come. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Maybe you're here today and you can't keep making up excuses about why you can't come to the party right now. You'll come to the party one day. Eventually you'll be there. Bible says now is the time. Now is the day. Don't tarry. Or worse, what you're doing is you're trying to throw your own party with your life and you don't realize it and nobody has the guts to tell you, but your party is pretty lame. It's unsatisfying. It leaves you empty. And you think you're having a good time, but really all you're doing is rejoicing your way into hell. Why don't you come to the better party? Because Jesus knows how to throw one. And He says, You just got to come to my Father's house. I've prepared a place for you. This party doesn't stop, it doesn't end. He says, Won't you come? Won't you join in? Just put on the garment, because it's been washed white as snow. Don't refuse the invitation of the King. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.